This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. How's it going, Lance? Oh, it's going so well. Couldn't be better, Tim. How are you today? I'm doing really well, Lance. And uh, for this episode, we have another sibling advocate, another really strong and powerful sibling advocate. We have Amanda Shirley to talk about her brother, DJ Ficky. That's right. Uh, anyone who's familiar with her, they know... Her mission is to bring justice uh, to her baby brother, DJ, who was shot and killed on October 3rd, 2016. It was ruled a suicide. You can get a lot of this info on the website, justice4dj.com. And you can also follow her on Twitter, which is justice4dj88. She's always posting and she always has news and uh, always updates on her brother's case. It's uh, truly, truly frustrating, and you can you can hear it in the interview too. You can hear our frustration, and I'm surprised that she kept it together the way she did. And she's got a petition going too, and we'll post the link in the show notes. It's up to almost twenty nine thousand signatures. So make sure to add your name if this interview moves you, and how could it not? It's really infuriating. I was really impressed by her explaining the details of the actual shooting event. Uh, she she didn't waver. She didn't um, she didn't even get very emotional. You could tell that she's trying to think about it in a uh, sort of a forensic way. Like, how is it even physically possible that her brother shot himself in the manner in which he was shot? It's it's almost physically impossible for that act to happen. That angle and everything. And I love that she's able to uh, separate the way she's thinking. She she does a, a great job uh, compartmentalizing it. And she's very active on Twitter. And uh, recently, I believe, was blocked by someone from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. But um, I think that has since changed, which I'm happy to hear because we were about to go off on someone here in this intro. Uh, <laughs> but but um, but she has actually been given a meeting with, uh, with the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. So that is a little bit of an update to this episode that happened after this episode was recorded. No right. word on how that's going to go, obviously. We will keep you updated, though. And when you're on justiceforDJ.com, scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a link there that says donate to our cause. And that goes right to their GoFundMe page. And this is uh, donations 
uh, to raise money for funds to cover all of the private investigations uh, that they're doing on um, DJ's case. Okay, so check out justice4dj.com and make sure to sign the petition. Thanks, everybody. We are being joined now by Amanda Shirley. Amanda, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And yes, thank you for taking time out of your day to speak about this tragedy. Um, we'll just let you get into it right now. Uh, what's uh, what's your what's your uh, your mission here? My mission is to get justice for my little brother that was murdered. I'll just say it, murdered. And your brother is DJ Ficky. He was found dead on October 3rd, 2016. And since that day, you have been a champion for justice for him. Uh, you have a website, justiceforDJ.com. And it's kind of tough to not get right into the controversy of this. I guess, take us through the, if you don't mind, take us through the day that you found out about your brother's death. Uh, the hardest day. <laughs> At the time, I was homeschooling my little girl. She was in kindergarten. I was homeschooling her. I had just sat down to start, you know, doing some work with her and everything and turned the computer on. And my mom called me hysterical, just screaming, crying, emotional. I could not understand anything that she was trying to say. I don't even think she realized I was on the phone because she hung up on me. And so I immediately called her back, just assuming that she was arguing with her boyfriend, you know. So, uh, again, she was hysterical. I couldn't understand her. I finally just told her, you know, you're going to have to calm down. I can't understand you. What is it? And she blurted out, DJ's dead. Um, my world ended right then and there. My husband worked third shift, so it began during the day. He was asleep. I, I went to the bedroom. I turned the light on. I screamed at my husband from across the room. I said, DJ's dead. And I, I fell to the floor. I was in shock. Um, he jumps up. What do you mean DJ's dead? I, I, you know, I just told him DJ's dead. And this was an hour and a half after he died, actually. I mean, we wasn't even aware that he was dead for an hour and a half after he was dead. And no law enforcement or any corner or anything like that was the one that called to tell us he had been killed. It was one of the people that lived in the home that called my mom to tell her. But anyways, I'm jumping around, getting back to the day it happened. Um, I still had my mom on the phone when I was telling my husband that DJ was dead. And she told me that I had to take her up there because this happened in Georgia. We live in Alabama right over the state line. It's about a 45-minute drive to where DJ was at. I told her, I said, Mom, you don't need to go up there and see that. Because that's just, I, I wouldn't want to have seen the seen it. I, I, my mom had a bad heart at the time. So she was told to stay away from stressful situations and anything like that. And I could, I didn't, I didn't want my mom seeing that. that I, I was, I don't know that, could have been possibly the end of her you know that could have made her had a heart attack for all i know i mean just the thoughts of you getting told your son was dead is enough to kill you when you have a bad heart so um i told her i said mom you're gonna i said you don't need to see that 
and I told my husband, she or she told me that I've got to get up there to my baby. And so I told my husband he was going to have to take her because I couldn't drive. I was just a mess. So they they head up that way. Like I said, it's a 40 by the 45 minute drive. During the drive up there, my mom got a call from what she thought was a detective, but it was the coroner. We didn't know this until, you know, about a week later. But my mom told the coroner, who she thought was a detective, that she had proof that her son did not kill himself, that he was texting her fearful for his life. And the coroner told her, well, we know it was a suicide because we have a witness that's seen it happen, which is the person of interest. And that's, that's where it started from, from, from there. That's where it all started downhill. Wow. Okay, so uh, what was the investigation like? Practically non-existent to begin with. The day of the shooting, they showed up. It was pretty much, yep, it's a suicide. That's the end of it. But in the coroner's eyes, it was a suicide. He sent DJ's body down to the GBI crime lab to have an autopsy done, which is protocol in Georgia. If it's a suicide, by law, they have to have a limited autopsy done. So he did that, and he sent DJ's body down there with the information that they had a witness that seen DJ shoot himself, and that the gun was removed out of DJ's hand by the first responding officer, which is false information. It's documented multiple times that that's not true. So the first day, like I said... They basically said it was a suicide and went with that. But the detective caught the person of interest in a, several lives while on the scene. So he, he took it upon himself to continue investigating. But he didn't, he didn't do things that he should have done that day. He, he, there was a lot of things that he should have done. But he, he was a young, young detective, very, very young detective. I just think he was, he wasn't trained properly and he just missed a lot of evidence that he could have helped in this case. Even though there's, in my opinion, there's plenty of evidence that would convict this in this case. They could have been a lot of evidence that got lost that day. When you said that your mother told the person, so the person that called that your mother thought was the a detective was actually the coroner. He said your son shot himself. It, it was suicide, and then she countered by saying, "No, I know for a fact that he was in, he feared for his life." How did she know that? Because my brother was texting her before he. My brother was literally shot while he was texting my mom. No kidding. You're, and he and there are text messages that exist that say. I'm fearful of my life. I'm going. Someone, someone's going to die. Did they name the name? I mean, did he name the name? Yes, my brother. What it was is the man that shot my brother was having an affair with my brother's wife, so it was a love triangle. If you need to think that through, <laughs> my brother's wife and the person that killed my brother were having an affair with each other. My brother was texting my mom. He started texting her about 
it was about 40, 45 minutes before he was shot. He te- the first very first text message was, you've got to come get me now. And my mom responded with, I- I'm sick. I'm, you know, I can't drive. What is it? And she asked him, are you and the suspect into it again? And he said, yeah. And she said, over Brandy, which is DJ's wife. And he said, yeah. And she told him that he couldn't come here because of the stressful situation. You know, she had to stay away from the stress and everything. Um, With DJ and Brandy together and around, it was impossible to stay away from stress because they they were constantly arguing and, like, bickering back and forth and everything. So she kept telling him ideas and places to go. How did he say it? He said, we both have to get out of here to save our lives. And if he didn't leave, he was going to end up dead there. So, I mean, and then he was sending messages to other people on Facebook, asking them for a ride, saying that the the suspect was trying to kill him. And so, I mean, there's numerous messages that DJ sent. Three minutes after the last message was sent, 911 was called by the person of interest and saying that DJ shot himself. Uh, can I ask a question that, please don't take offense to this, do you have any theory as to why your brother didn't call the police? Yes, I have. A, I know why they didn't call the police. Um, it was a drug house. They never wanted law enforcement there. The day, I believe it was two days before DJ was shot, the same person came out. The way this the way the property is set up, DJ was friends with the property owner, old man. That's what they all called him, old man. He lived in a trailer. DJ was friends with him. Well, then here comes this, DJ, knew, DJ was friends with him and knew him for years. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy, the suspect, who moves a camper onto the property. And he's living in a camper. So a couple of days before DJ got killed, the guy actually pulled that same gun on DJ and Brandy and shot it off into the ground because they were talking to one another about moving back in with my mom. He was so jealous of DJ and Brandy that they were not allowed to even talk to one another. He jumped DJ with a ball bat about three or four days before he was shot. DJ was coming out of the trailer, going down the steps. And the suspect jumped DJ and started beating the hell out of him with a ball bat. DJ grabbed up a golf club and knocked his tooth out. A few days before that, DJ got out of the shower and the guy put a knife to his throat. And none of these things are documented by law enforcement because it was a drug house. You know, they don't want law around. And were they living together or they were living really close to each other? DJ and Brandy? Yeah. Brandy and the suspect. Yeah. We, we exactly. How, what was the locations like here? Um, The camper and the trailer were on the same property. It's like an acre lot. Oh, okay. And so it's not a big area. Um, And then, of course, like I said, Brandy was having an affair with the guy. It was more of a, she would leave DJ to go be with him for the drugs more than a sexual relationship. He was keeping her in drugs. and But she would go back and forth. She would go to him, the suspect. Then she would DJ would win her over. She would go back with DJ. 
She would go back to the suspect, back to DJ. They would come home for a couple of weeks. They would, you know, she would pick a fight, an argument, just anything, a reason, like an excuse to leave. And she would leave. DJ would either leave with her or fall right behind her. They would be gone a couple of weeks. He would win her over. They'd come back. It was just so predictable in a routine. And my mom has had a couple of people guilt, I guess, shame her for not going and getting DJ that day. But what people don't understand is it wasn't uncommon to us for DJ and the suspect to be arguing and fighting. So it was, you know, it wasn't uncommon. They had so many, what is the word, instances where they had got physically into arguments and fights and everything that it's just, it wasn't surprising to us. And DJ was a tough guy, right? He was a, an MMA fighter? Yes, DJ. DJ could, DJ was a badass. I mean, DJ could hold his own. I'm not saying that, you know, he couldn't whoop everybody's ass, but DJ could hold his own, and DJ could whoop uh, the suspect's ass. No questions asked. He he done it several times. And did DJ ever express feelings or make attempts at suicide in the past? DJ wasn't depressed. I mean, D, DJ was, he had been in this situation for so long with his wife, it was like, I guess it was just natural to him, but he wasn't depressed. He actually called my mom the day before he was killed and he had one Brandy back over. They were back together. He was happy as could be. He talked to his kids, checked in on, you know, checked in with them. He was making future plans. We always have a Halloween party every year, a costume party. So he was talking about what he was going to dress up as and what he was wanting the kids to be dressed up as. He was talking about buying the kids Christmas presents, what not, what, telling my mom not to give them certain things that he wanted to be the one that bought it for them. I mean, he was making future plans. He was happy. He wasn't depressed or suicidal. So he never expressed any suicidal thoughts to you? No. So these the text messages that came through, it seems so clear that he was in danger. So you're, you're saying that that wasn't really properly investigated. <laughs> they actually said that those text messages, how did they, they word it? They said that they, they didn't feel like, like those text messages were showing that he feared for his life. So text messages that say, uh, I've, Someone's going to kill me. I'm, I'm going to die here. I'm going to end up dead here. That's not fearful for your life. Well, did they think he was kidding? I don't know. That's infuriating. It is. It's beyond infuriating. Okay. I need to wrap my head around how um, investigators can walk into a crime scene like that and walk out and say, you said that you found out about his death a couple of hours after, right? And so within a couple of hours, they determined that it was suicide. How, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how in a couple of hours they can, they can say definitely that it was suicide. Because the witness that saw it happen said it was suicide, but that witness was the person who shot him. 
I mean, anyone could say it's suicide. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it blows that's my what mind. I'm saying. Like, what is going on with the investigation? How do you just take that person's word for it and then, uh, okay, nothing else to see here? And see, there was there was six other people in the house the day that DJ was shot. Two of them seen what happened. They seen what happened, which one of them was Brandy, the wife. Right. She was when they tried to ask her what happened. She was hysterical. She couldn't get anything out. Plus, when they questioned her, the suspect was standing right behind her. So, of course, she's going to be scared and not want to say anything with a murderer standing behind her after she just seen her husband, you know, get blown away. But she was so hysterical, they couldn't get nothing out of her. They told her that they would come back and talk to her in a couple of days. When DJ was shot, there was, like I said, there were six people in the house. Everybody scattered. They left. They took off. When law enforcement showed up, they all come back, like, making it look like they had just got there. They, you know, they wasn't there. They had just got there. So the detectives never questioned anybody else because they didn't know anybody else was there. The suspect lied to them and told them that the only people that were there was him, DJ, and Brandy. His story is that the three of them were, were were there, and then what, an argument happened, and DJ got really depressed and shot himself in front of them to prove a point or something? His, he's got, like, five different stories. His first story was DJ and Brandy were arguing and that he was in the back bedroom, and he heard a gun go off, and he went he came running in the house or come running in the living room, and DJ had shot himself. His next story was he was outside, and he heard the gun go off and heard Brandy scream and came running in the house, and DJ was had been shot. And then I think his third story, when, when they said they were sending him for an autopsy, is when he came up with the story that DJ had the gun, and was going to shoot himself, and that he tried to get the gun away from DJ, and they had this big struggle and fight, you know, and he was trying to get it away from DJ, and the gun went off. And then the next story was pretty much that that same story, but then he adds to it that Brandy came in the, the door and yanked his arm, and when she yanked the suspect's arm is when the gun went off. So he changed his story multiple, multiple times. And the police are just apparently okay with that. Actually, the detectives now, they changed it about, it took them about a month because, of course, all the facts, you don't know all the facts when any murder happens or homicide takes place. You don't know what happened the day that it happened. That's what the investigation is for. Uh, about a month into the investigation, they changed it from a suicide investigation to a homicide investigation. But because DJ was sent to GBI with false information and nobody ever had any contact with a medical examiner the entire time, she ruled DJ's manner of death as suicide. To this day, the sheriff's department detectives and the medical examiner have not talked to one another. Is this person of interest connected somehow to, like, a higher force? Because is it, like, the mayor's son or something? No. See, that's the first thing everyone always asks, because that's usually 
how it plays out. You know, they're getting right. away with it because they're connected. In this case, they jumped to conclusions and ruled it incorrectly. And even though they've been presented with all the facts and evidence, they just don't want to admit that they messed up. Man, we hear that story over and over and over again. And it's so outrageous to me that an organization in any branch of law enforcement would have so much pride that they would rather just keep something buried as opposed to saying, oh, now we have the information, we can actually change it. It, it they'll, They would be able to clear up so many cases and get so many families some closure if they just said, yeah, this is this is how it develops, and it developed to this point, and now we're changing it so we can have some actual justice instead of letting people get away with murder, just letting them get away with the murder. It's incredible to me. It's, it's credibility. They're worried about their credibility, and then also they're worried about opening up a huge lawsuit from the victim's family. The longer they let it go on, though, the more that's going to keep building right. up. So Yes. Pain and suffering is no joke. I mean, and it's no fun either. Yeah, that takes a toll on you. Yeah, it does. I mean, and then, you know, you've got, he's got three kids. Uh, They need the support. Yeah, they need the support. And plus, the whole reason I started this was just, the main reason was because DJ deserved his truth to be told and he deserved justice. But the other main reason is because he has three kids that have a death certificate that say that his father chose to take his life from them. And he didn't. How old are the kids? His oldest just turned six in March. And he has a set of identical twin girls that will be turning five next mo- this month, at the end of this month. Uh. They were one and two when he was killed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.
Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the podcast Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow Serial Killers on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. What did Brandy say when she eventually made a statement? The day that the shooting happened and once my husband and my mom got there, Brandy actually jumped in the SUV with my mom and husband wanting to leave with them. My mom and my husband not knowing what role she had in it or if she had any role at all in it, they, my husband told her, you're not, you're not going with us because we knew she was having an affair with, you know, on DJ with the other guy. So we didn't know if Brandy was involved in it or not. We didn't know all the facts yet. So no, we're not, you know, they wasn't going to let her go with them. So she didn't have no choice, but to stay there at the home. Um, she has family, but I wouldn't actually call them family. But, uh, so anyway, she had no choice but to stay there. The next day, her aunt found out what happened, and she couldn't get a hold of Brandy. So she ended up getting her brother, Brandy's brother, to take her down there to see what was going on. Brandy got in the car with them to leave. They didn't even get out of the driveway good, and Brandy told them exactly what happened. So her aunt called my mom. And told my mom, Brandy wants to go talk to the detectives. She just, we just left there. She told us exactly what happened and she wants to go talk to the detectives. Well, by the, that time, the detectives had already gone home for the day. So the very, the next morning, we, we went and picked her up and we took her down there the first thing that morning. And Brandy told them, Brandy's story has been the same since day one. Even with Brandy, you know how, okay, you know, people on drugs versus people that are not on drugs, their stories change or their stories are different or they think they've seen something or, you know, Brandy's story has stayed the same on drugs and sober. It's never changed. None. She said that she was in the bathroom fixing her hair in the trailer at Old Man's. DJ was sitting on the love seat texting on the phone that when she got done doing her hair or that DJ came in there and told her to get her things ready that they were going back home to mom's talking about my mom's and she said that she popped off some remark and DJ told her he was going back in there to you know text keep texting somebody so he goes back in there she said that it wasn't, but just a few seconds after he walked off, that she came out of this bathroom, and the the way the house is set up, the kitchen and the living room are like an open floor plan, so when you're in the kitchen, you can see the living room. She said when she came out of the bathroom into the kitchen, and she seen DJ sitting on the 
on the love seat that the suspect came out of the room behind DJ's left shoulder, called him a motherfucker, and shot him. And I have reconstructed the crime scene. I have a picture of me sitting on a couch, tech, you, you know, holding a phone, texting, and my husband took um, a yard ruler and he walks around the corner wall behind me to my left side. And I look up at him and it is the perfect angle that DJ was shot at because DJ was shot at a downward angle, front to back, left to right and downward. This is on the left hand side of his left hand side of his face. DJ was shot in the left cheek, right at the corner of the lip area. And the exit wound came out behind his right ear about an inch down and two inches back. And this is with a shotgun, too. Yes, this is with a shotgun, and he was shot with buckshot, which is the pellets. Okay, so not the easiest thing to pull off yourself. Right, and he was right-handed. Right, that was something that you mentioned in the ID video that was uh, like just a, a... bombshell moment i hope people really understand that it's a shotgun he's right-handed gets shot in the left-hand side of his face with a shotgun as suicide yes while he's home with with his wife like it just there's nothing suicidal about that that's like saying that's like he might as well have stabbed himself in the back well i don't know if you uh exactly with his hands tied around his yeah, back yeah. and stuff stuff on the back um i don't know if y'all got the chance to listen to the medical examiner and my private investigator's phone conversation or not on her theory of what happened logic no, no i have not yeah <laughs> it, it's the dumbest thing ever so a year after it say july i got the i got the case files in july of 2017 and i hired a private investigator and he started working on the case and getting open record requests and doing his own interviews and everything else. He set up an appointment with the medical examiner because to that day, she still hadn't seen all the facts and didn't have any of the evidence except the false information that the coroner had gave her. She, he even had a recording of the detective saying that this was a homicide and he would go to court and stand behind that. And so, anyway, the, my private investigator met with her. He spent three hours in this appointment going over all the information and facts and everything. She told him that she would order a toxicology report and that they would review the case as a whole and that they would, she would get back with him. And it takes about six to eight weeks for a toxicology report to come back. She called him back six to eight weeks later. And said that the toxicology report showed that DJ had a stimulant in his system. And because the stimulant was in his system, that it was still consistent with a suicide. And my my private investigator was dumbfounded by that logic. And he started asking her questions and he said, so, you know, he, he asked her what kind of stimulant was in DJ's system, and she said meth, which we already knew that DJ would have meth in his system. That was a waste of taxpayers' money. But 
<clears throat> he he said so. I, he basically asked her, "How did you come up with that logic?" And she says that a stimulant would make you active and alert, so that there was no reason that he should have been able to defend himself. Oh, I see. So there was it had somebody wait. So it had to have been suicide because. Because he yeah. could have defended himself when someone comes at him with a shotgun. Yeah, because if blindsides him with a shotgun. Yeah, if you're if you're on a stimulant, you're bulletproof and you're invincible. And but, yeah. and the thing about it is, had had DJ had which DJ did have depressants in his system, he had uh, marijuana in his system. But if DJ had had just depressants in his system, it would have been the same thing. She would have said it was a suicide because he was depressed because he was on a downer right because the depressants in his system were somehow um accelerating his his natural depression or something that that's in, incredible to me it's bullshit to me yeah and <laughs> yeah. uh and so the, there was some polygraphs taken and failed right yes he uh the polygraph he took the polygraph and failed it and he also failed in reenactment of the shooting how do you fail right. <laughs> that's not even a test how do you fail that <laughs> they gave him a shotgun and told him to reenact exactly how the shooting occurred and the way he i have the videos and everything of it i watched it the way he reenacts and recreates the shooting the way he said that the the way he said the shotgun was pointed when it went off was upward, so it would have DJ would have been shot at an upward angle, but DJ was shot at a downward angle. Okay, so the reenactment that they told him to perform was the one that was based on the, the I guess the his latest his yeah, latest the account, shotgun. right? Yeah, because the 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 uh, polygraph examiner told him he said. He asked him if he cared to reenact the shooting. He said, because I'm just having a really hard time trying to understand how you're telling me this shooting happened. And he 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 reconstructed it in his theory, I guess, in his imagination how it happened. Um, he re- recreated it, and the polygraph examiner, his own video, you know, once he the suspect left the room when he's talking to the detective, he says, there's no possible way that shooting occurred the way he said it did. And he failed the lie detector test. And it's almost impossible for somebody to shoot themselves from an upward angle while they're looking up with a shotgun. Right. The the cops agree it's murder. So where where is the uh, the stone wall here? The stone wall is that the detectives handed it over to the DA. But because the medical examiner ruled the manner of death as a suicide, the DA will not present it to a grand jury. <laughs> <That's>, it's <laughs> stupid. October will be four years since this has happened. In four years, I have tried numerous, numerous times to call the sheriff in the corner, to see the sheriff in the corner. I've emailed them multiple multiple times and i have yet to talk to either one of them they have never spoken to my family even now the sheriff the detectives the coroner the medical examiner all of them ignore any efforts at us trying to reach them and not just me my private investigator 
They won't call us back. They won't answer our calls. They won't reply to emails. The attorney general says that he's not meeting with the, the family or any media because Nancy Grace was going to go talk to the attorney general. They said that they wouldn't meet with the media or the family. The governor, of course, just ignores me. It's, it's just messed up. Do you still live in the same county? No, I moved out of uh, the county DJ. We the county DJ got killed in was our our hometown where we grew up. I I moved out of that county in that state about twelve years ago, and that's why DJ knew people from there. It's because that's you know where we grew up. We knew everybody there. So for the past four years, you've been making phone calls to anybody that you can and. You've been leaving messages and speaking to, I guess, assistants and um, admins. No one's called you back, and no one has accepted any offer to appear in any form of media to talk about this. No. Um, the GBI <laughs> the GBI has made statements to the media when they reach out for comment. It's the spokesperson for GBI. Her statement is that the case was reviewed and new forensic testing was performed and that it stay it's going to stay a suicide because they're going by the original findings from the investigation report from the sheriff's department and the autopsy but that contradicts itself because <laughs> right. the sheriff's department says it's a homicide Right, and what's the point in reviewing it if you're going to just refer to the old stuff? Right, and that's the thing. They say that they reviewed the case and did new forensic testing. That's a lie. The only thing they did was a toxicology report. And it's like, when the okay, when the toxicology report came back that he had drugs in his system, that's it. We're not going to review anything else. He was a drug addict. You know, he doesn't matter. Right, right. And, and that's the way that they looked at it this whole time. Right, right. Did, Did they, they ever, ever take, take any, any prints, prints off, off the, the gun? gun? No, they didn't even do a gunshot residue test on DJ's hands. Come on. They did one on the suspect, and they're ex- they never sent it off for analysis. And their reasoning was that he admitted to touching the gun. Because nine one one told him to unload and secure the weapon right. before police arrived on the scene, so he admitted to touching the gun. So they didn't send the gunshot residue off test off for analysis because he admitted to touching the gun, and that's their excuse for not testing the gun for fingerprints is because he admitted to touching the gun. Which I get that, I understand that his prints are going to be on the gun. But don't stand there and tell me that my brother killed himself with that gun unless you prove to me that his fingerprints are on that gun. Yeah, I don't understand why they wouldn't do the gunshot residue on your brother's hand, um, that that test. Uh, And I I guess I can see why they didn't send uh, the the guy who shot him uh, that residue because he ultimately admitted that he was holding the gun when he shot him, right? Yeah, he says that they were struggling over the gun. So, but I actually did my own interview with one of the witnesses. I went and talked to one of the eyewitnesses myself 
And I asked the person, I mean, I asked questions that the law enforcement never asked these witnesses. I mean, common questions that are important questions. My main question was, whose finger was on the trigger when the gun went off? And he said, you know, the suspect's finger was on the trigger when it went off. And the, the detective never asked that question. That's ridiculous. That, I'm just, I'm, I don't want to get too graphic because I know it's your brother and I want to be respectful, but how would you even do this with a shotgun? How long, like how big is a shotgun? How do you aim it at yourself? And how do you, what, like what finger do you even use to pull the trigger on yourself with a shotgun? I would imagine maybe your thumb because you can't turn your, your hand around. You would have to. I mean, I've, I've played it out. You would have to, I know some people can't see this because it'll be just a recording, but you would literally have to hold your, you know, turn your head sideways and look up and hold a gun. You would have to hold the barrel of the shotgun with your right hand and you'd have to use your left hand to pull the trigger of the, the shotgun. With your finger, like your index finger or your thumb? It, it would have to be your, it would have to be your thumb. You couldn't, you couldn't get your hand, that would be just, even though it's all completely awkward, it would just be really awkward to have to reach around the top of the shotgun to get back around to the wall of the, you know, the trigger. So, yeah, I don't, and the thing about it is, is why are you going to shoot yourself that way? If you're going to commit suicide, you're going to want it to be a kill. You're going to want it to, you know... You're going to either do under the chin, in the mouth. You want it to hit your brain, basically, so it kills you. You're not going to shoot downward and take the chance of living through it and being fucked up. Yeah. And, I mean, not to mention he's there with his wife. And a house full of other people. And a house full of people. Suicides are usually something that is done away from people. You know, you either go in a room and you lock the door, you do it privately, you go out in the woods, you know, you don't do it around people, not especially not a house full of people, not in right in front of the front door. He was like a foot and a half away from the front door of this house. And to me, if I was going to kill myself, I would do it in a comfortable manner. I would want to be comfortable I wouldn't put myself in an awkward position, uncomfortable. You know, I just don't, it's, no. <laughs> and and as, much, as much as the relationship was turbulent, it's hard for me to believe that someone would want to put their significant other through something like that. Now you're going to watch me do this, and I'm going to do it in the worst way possible. You'd have to be so far gone in your mental health deterioration that, there would have been indicators long before that. Exactly. It's not just going to be instant, you know, I'm boom, I'm going to kill myself. There's signs that lead up to things like that. There's cries yeah. for help. You know, you reach out for help. You cry, you're crying out for help. There's, it's like you said, there's, indi- you know, indications that lead up to it, that you can see that person needs help, you know, and that's not the case here whatsoever. Well, you're doing a amazing job with um, everything that you're putting together to bring justice for DJ, uh, including your change.org 
uh, campaign. How How is the change.org campaign going and what's the public call to action that you'd like to put out there? Uh, the public call to action is basically that, you know, we're, we're trying to get them to get off their ass and do the right thing. Quit ignoring us. Look at the facts. Go by the facts. Do your job. The petition has not went as well as I hoped it would. I mean, it's it's got a lot of signatures on it, and we have a lot of support. I mean, we do have a lot of support, and I'm so grateful for all those people. I just feel like I feel like we we could have a lot more because DJ has got a lot of media coverage, a lot, and I just feel like there's a lot of judgmental people out there, and that's why we're not getting the support that we're getting well we will make sure to direct our listeners to sign the petition there's a link in the show notes check it out sign it check out justiceforDJ.com. there is a lot of information there and thank you so much for uh for coming on and talking to us about your brother thank you for having me Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.